0: is on that's better i invite you to keep your bibles open let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for matthew's gospel we thank you for this account of your son being tempted by the devil and we pray lord that you would speak by your holy spirit to each one of us tonight take these words of mine lord and use them for your glory amen well, I think uh, Richard said to us that this is the second in this series on, in Matthew's Gospel. We're looking at uh, being found on the rock, and we're looking at who is Jesus. Last week, we were in chapter 3 of, of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus was baptized, and that voice spoke out from the clouds and declared that Jesus is God's Son, in whom he is well pleased. And the challenge was, are we following Jesus? That was what Richard left us with last week. Well, tonight, from this passage, we're given more detail concerning the very nature of Jesus and the way that he responded to temptations which are common to each one of us. Adam's already said to us, hasn't he, about being honest. We all find it difficult to read our Bibles, for instance, every day. And so I wondered, you know, do we struggle with temptation? Well, Jesus was tempted, Go. Jesus was tempted. But, um, of course, what do we mean by temptation? Well, when I get a new word, I always look to the English dictionary. And the English dictionary says this about temptation. Oh, no. It's not... Oops. It's gone back. Temptation. The desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise... And the uh, dictionary helpfully gives us a couple of examples for this. He resisted the temptation to call Celia at the office. And Lily says she resists the great temptations, but the little ones pull her down. Well, there was a popular Christian magazine that uh, conducted a survey of its readers. And it asked them to rank the areas of greatest spiritual challenge. And the top six answers were this. Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness. Adam said something about that. Anger and bitterness, sexual lusts. And the respondents noted that temptation was stronger when they had neglected their time with God and they were physically tired. And I think we can be honest, can't we, with ourselves that not a day goes by when some form of temptation doesn't strike us. Whether that is to, uh, to... think more of ourselves than we should, whether that is to be wanting more money, or whether it is, in fact, doubting God and his promises. So how do we handle temptation? Well, we can be glad, can't we, that Jesus also experienced temptation, and the Bible gives us some help with this. But the Bible also tells us something about the nature of Jesus. So in the first part of the sermon tonight, we'll look at the nature of Jesus as shown by this example, this this passage. And then we'll look a bit more at the actual temptations. So, the first thing about Jesus, what do we see about Jesus the nature of Jesus. Well, the first thing we see, of course, is that he, he was subject in the same way as we were. We see that he was assailed by the tempter and he defeated him at each temptation. Now, the Jesus we see here, I would like to suggest, is very different to the image that we had when we saw him in chapter 3 when he was being baptized. Remember when he was being baptized, the Spirit came upon him. Chapter 3, verse 17. And the voice of God speaks, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. But we see some remarkable features concerning Jesus in these 11 verses in chapter 4. So the first thing we see is his perfect humanity. His perfect humanity. Plainly Jesus was a man because he lacked nothing that's truly human. So we see here that he had a human soul that was going to be tempted and he had a human body that suffered hunger. And so as we read this account, we have the picture of a man alone in a wilderness without any of the comforts or provisions of society. And he was a man that had gone from the very spiritual highs of being confirmed as the son of God out in the open where others must have witnessed this as well. And he had gone from that spiritual high to the lows of isolation, hunger and thirst as he fasted and meditated upon the nature of his work over the next three years. And so in this time of temptation, he comes down to the level of us who are poor and striving against it. And so all his grandeur of being a part of God, his divinity doesn't remove from him the completeness of his humanity. He was completely human. And that's the first thing I think we can see about Jesus from this section we've got with us tonight. But the second thing I think we can see is his sympathy, his brotherly sympathy with us. Now we read this in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4. And you might like to turn to it, it's on page 1202, Hebrews chapter 2 we read reading, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he was in all points tempted like us, as we are, yet without sin. But if you turn to chapter 2, verse uh, 14, through to the end of the chapter, it's about, uh, what, three verses, look what it says about Jesus. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not with angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he then is in sympathy with us. He was apprenticed in his office of high priest, Because he fought temptation. He understands the battles with temptation and with the evil one. So that's the second characteristic that we see of Jesus in this passage. The third is we see something of his redeeming or his saving work. Because Christ came to overthrow the works of the devil. And he begins here by facing and conquering the spirit of evil himself. Because before this, the devil had never been completely vanquished here on earth. But here he is. And fourthly, we see something of Jesus' purity. His victorious purity. Because he was tempted, yet he didn't fall. He came out of the ordeal... Tested and revealed himself in sinless strength. And so we've got four things here that we can hang on to about the picture of who Jesus is. So all of this is helpful. But what about the temptations themselves? What can we learn from them? Where do the temptations actually come from? Well, firstly, we see that the temptations came from an outside agency, the devil. They came to Adam from the devil as well. If you remember in Genesis 1, I think it was. And here in chapter 4, we see that the devil tempted Jesus. Whereas for us, of course, it's slightly different because we have a fallen, sinful nature. There's a lot written in the New Testament about our fallen nature. The Apostle James shows how temptation often springs up in our own hearts from the evil lurking there. But here we see that temptation can also come from an outside agency. Otherwise, the sinless Jesus couldn't have been tempted So the temptation, in this sense, comes from an outward agency. So even if we are good, we cannot expect to be free from temptation. But what about these temptations that Jesus experienced? Well, the three temptations were varied, weren't they, in form. The tempter is wily and subtle. If he doesn't succeed in one way, he's going to try another. Each has its own features, yet there is a common character running through them. Because in every case, Jesus was urged to use his miraculous powers, his messianic privileges, for his own advantage. Because the great conflict rages around one thing, that is the life work of Jesus as the Christ. Should this be degraded to selfish ends or should it be carried on in self-sacrifice for its highest purpose? So, the devil is attacking Christ's central work here on earth. And he's waiting for the appropriate time to do so. Because for 40 days, Jesus was in... Sorry, it's gone again. For 40 days, he was in the desert, wasn't he? Fasting in the wilderness. All the while, all these 40 days, the tempter delayed like a wild beast crouching in the bush and waiting for a favorable moment to pounce on his prey. He waited for his opportunity. He waited for a time of weakness when he was exhausted through lack of food. And this is something, of course, that we may well find with us as well. Physical weakness can indicate approaching temptation. But not only did he wait for a weak moment, he suggested an easy satisfaction. The famished man is haunted by tantalizing visions of food. Nothing is more natural than the Nothing is more natural than needing and wanting food. That the stones of the wilderness should suggest the ideas of the bread that they resembled in form and colour. It was a natural thing that the devil was using in a weak moment. But we see also, of course, that the devil offers to Jesus doubt. He offers doubt. Look at verses 3 and 5. He offers the doubt to Jesus. He says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, did God's Spirit really say that you are the Son of God in whom I'm well pleased? And isn't there a similarity here that we read of in Genesis 3 verse 1 when the serpent says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so, the devil puts doubts into the minds of people. He puts doubts into our minds. Were you saved when you gave your life to Jesus, when you confessed your sins to to Jesus? Did he forgive you? When the Holy Spirit came upon you, were you blessed? He gives us doubt. And here in this reading, we see that the devil does this Through natural needs, temptation lays hold of innocent desires. Look again at verse 3. Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. He was naturally very hungry. And Jesus was tempted by the sinful appeals to what was innocent within him. He was tempted to gratify natural desires, hunger and safety, but in a wrong way. Now, Jesus didn't have the indwelling evil within his heart, but he did have powers that would enable him to control his natural needs. It would seem that when Jesus received the power of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he knew that he had the power to work miracles. And so these, in, these temptations were inducements to abuse that power for selfish ends. So Jesus had the power to turn stones into bread. He had the power to send for angels to protect him while he fell from the high point in Jerusalem. And here's a principle for each one of us, because every time we develop spiritual giftings in a new area, it gives ground for temptation to take place. Every growth of spiritual gifts carries with it the fresh possibilities of evil, if evil is not resisted, when good can take place. And so we see here that the first two temptations were for Jesus to use his spiritual power to satisfy his physical needs of hunger and and safety now i think we need uh, as we look at the gospel messages and we see that jesus promises each one of us power and authority as his followers he says that if we go out and follow him and make disciples of all men then we will do more than he has done And this is a temptation, because a danger arises when this power is used for bringing attention to the person by whose actions are seen to be happening, rather than to the Son of God and the Holy Spirit. And you can see this sometimes with things like the TV evangelists and miracle healers. There is nothing wrong, of course, with the miraculous actions in themselves, What is wrong is that they don't point to the power and love of God and his son Jesus. Because when it does so, it glorifies God and his kingdom is expanded here on earth. But look again at the passage. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Because here we see Satan presents more opportunities to Jesus within the third temptation. And this third temptation gets direct to the substance of the work which brought Jesus to the earth in the first place, that of securing people in the kingdom of this world. L.H. Wiseman wrote this in the book Kingdoms and the World. He says this, The devil's aim was to induce Jesus to seek universal dominion in an easier way than the prophets had foretold and which the Father had marked out for him. In other words, what the devil was trying to do was he was trying to stop Jesus fulfilling the task of dying on a cross for the sins of all mankind. Satan offers Jesus the chance of becoming the ruler of all the world if he will bow down and worship him. And so we see that the devil does, in fact, have some authority over the peoples of the world. And he's prepared to give this up if Jesus will just bow down and worship him. And so this third temptation gets to the heart of the situation concerning temptation overall, when it's of a moral nature, when it tries to divert people from their worship of the living God to the worship of the author of all lies, that is, Satan. So these, then, are the issues concerning the temptations of Jesus But how did Jesus actually deal with these temptations? And what can we learn from his examples? Well, look again at verses 4, 7, and 10. The first 4, 7, and 10 in Jesus' response to Satan's temptations. Look at what he says. The common words he uses in these three temptations are this It is written. It is written. Jesus refers to the scriptures as he knew them. He replies to Satan in all three examples of temptation with an appeal to scripture. Now, in our dark moments when we can't trust our own thoughts, for temptation is sophisticated, isn't it? Then, like Christ, we can find the advantage of a thorough and familiar knowledge of the Bible, which is why, of course, we are trying to encourage each one of us to read our Bibles each day. Because if Jesus needed this help, he the sinless one, how much more do we need it in our limited way? The Bible, the scriptures, are the way that Jesus replied. But secondly, we see also he replied with a new thought. A new thought. Here he uses from the recollection of Scripture. Now, we've got to bear in mind, of course, that he was extremely hungry. Any one of us would be with 40 days of fasting. So, with his hunger, if his mind rested on the hunger... He could not but feed the force of the temptation. But by a great effort of will, he turned the current of his thinking into another channel. And he used scripture to do that. He used scripture to do that. And then he also used the currency of thinking about what we are as people. He thought of our dignity. He considered the dignity of mankind because the suggestion of the tempter is degrading towards mankind. Look at verse 4. The tempter tempts him with food. But Jesus says, man is more than a feeding animal. In his true self, man is not wholly dependent on bread, but rather the spiritual food that comes from God's words written in the Bible. And so, he considers the dignity of mankind. And it's something that we can take hold of also when we are tempted. We are made in the image of God to love and worship him. But lastly, he reflects, of course, on the. He reflects on mankind's chief food, the Word of God. He needs more than bread, he needs to feed on the higher food, which is why he was probably fasting in the first place. There was probably, he was feeding on the Word, the truth of God. So there we have it. What can we do and what can we take from this scripture tonight for us in our walk with Jesus? Well I think the first thing that we can be clear about of course is if Jesus the sinless man, the son of God was tempted how much more likely are we going to be as we seek to follow Jesus and become more like him? So we can take it as written, that we will be tempted. But we can can pray with the help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God for help within our temptations. So, we can resist temptation through prayer. Think of the prayer that Jesus gave his apostles, the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. He can help us in our resistance. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to help us and we can use God's word, the Bible, to help us as well. We can take the promises given each day for us as we read it and learn it and pray it. I'd like to finish off with two promises that the Bible gives us as we face temptation, each one of us. The first was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of young Christians who were struggling in a church in Corinth. Look what he says to them. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with temptations will also make the way of escape that you may able to bear it. Isn't that a wonderful promise that we can take for each one of us? And we can also take the promise of James as well. James wrote in uh, chapter 4 of his letter, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee with you. He flee from you. Just have a look at that. It is positive, isn't it? But it's also, it means we have to do something. We have to submit to God. That's an active thing. We have to resist the devil. That's an active thing. But the result of that is that he will flee from you. Just a couple of examples then of promises that we can take concerning temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have a Savior, Jesus, who lived on this earth, who suffered temptation, who didn't use his miraculous powers to overcome it, but he used your word to banish the evil one. And we thank you, Father, that you provide us with promises in your word, promises to help us each day in our lives to follow you and to become more like Jesus. Amen.